It's been about a little less than a week since President Joe Biden was sworn into office, and they certainly have hit the gates running. He has reiterated his point to, quote, bring America back. And with the nomination of Anthony Blinken as his Secretary of State, it does look like President Biden is really seeking to mend relationships with traditional U.S. allies that perhaps have soured uh, following uh, various pressures or rhetoric or behavior from his predecessor, Donald Trump. In line with the U.S. restoring faith in its allies, many in Korea have been keeping an eye out for how Biden plans to strengthen the existing ROC-U.S. alliance and alleviate tensions stemming from things like the defense sharing costs, as well as maybe a blueprint for uh, peace on the Korean peninsula. So to give us discussion and analysis on the future for ROC-U.S. relations under uh, Biden, we are pleased to be joined from the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy at Tufts University, Professor Lee Sung-yun. Hello. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us, Professor, as always. Uh, First, let's start with Tony Blinken. He is the uh, nominee to be Secretary of State. Uh, Biden and Blinken have had a relationship uh, that spans decades. Uh, They seemingly have uh, a like-mindedness in terms of how they approach foreign policy. Uh, What are your thoughts on Blinken as Secretary of State, and uh, what do you think are going to be some of his uh, major challenges? Well, by all accounts, Mr. Blinken is well qualified, and he was confirmed as the Secretary of State today, just a few hours ago. Uh, His foreign policy background goes all the way to the 1990s during the first Clinton administration. So unlike his several predecessors, he has hands-on, everyday decision-making in terms of foreign policy. He has that experience, unlike, say, Mike Pompeo or Rex Tillerson under um, President Trump, or even their predecessors, Hillary Clinton and John Kerry. So uh, learning on the job, you know, the amount of time spent on learning the issues as issues unfold, the United States will be able to save time in that regard, at least. In terms of the uh, Biden administration and its approach to its allies, Here in the region, we have a new defense secretary as well, uh, Lloyd Austin, making history as the first black defense secretary uh, for the United States. He had phone calls with uh, both South Korea and Japan and uh, really emphasizing this uh, trilateral alliance between the three countries, uh, South Korea, the U.S. and and Japan, uh, to keep China and their emergence in the Northeast Asia region at bay. Uh, What do you think that approach will be for this uh, so-called tripartite alliance? Well, we've seen precedents of the United States trying to facilitate even a summit meeting between the two leaders of Japan and South Korea. One remembers, of course, President Obama in The Hague in March 2014, engineering the first meeting between President Park and her counterpart, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. And the two leaders had to sort of agree because it was time. And also, Obama was visiting both countries the very next month. So that was an awkward meeting. And although the bilateral relationship today between Seoul and Tokyo seems to be improving from um, the nadir that we saw in 2019 and 2020, still uh, the controversial decision by a South Korean court on January 8th um, awarding the plaintiffs, comfort women, um, victims and their family um, that sued, who sued the Japanese government and issuing a judgment in favor of the plaintiffs, these issues continue to cause um, challenges, friction between Seoul and Tokyo. In terms of the uh, military alliance between uh, South Korea and the U.S., Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and 
His uh, South Korean counterpart, Seouk, confirmed the, quote, ironclad alliance um, and no- needed, noted the need for troop readiness uh, on the peninsula. One thorny issue has been defense cost sharing. We know Trump famously tried to uh, jack up the price um, fivefold uh, for South Korea's uh, burden of the cost sharing. And also the curtailing of joint military exercises. So those two things. Um, joint military exercises and defense cost sharing. How do you think they're going to look under Biden? Well, President Trump shocked South Korea and his own people in the U.S. military establishment by announcing unilaterally a few hours after meeting Kim Jong-un for the first time on June 12, 2018 in Singapore, that he sees these military exercises between the U.S. and South Korea as provocative, unnecessarily expensive, and that he would cancel those scheduled for later that uh, summer in August. Well, we, we have seen by mutual agreement the U.S. and South Korea agreeing to suspend these exercises even in the 1990s, 93-94, uh, as a carrot to North Korea. So it's entirely feasible that the U.S. and South Korea will uh, agreeably come to an agreement, uh, mutually agree to suspend Uh, those exercises scheduled for for this spring and even perhaps later in the year. But as South Korea continues to insist on giving carrots to North Korea in the belief that Kim Jong-un may be amenable to more summit meetings, diplomacy and denuclearization, and as signs of such positive developments do not appear, I do see the possibility of tension building up between the Biden administration and the Moon administration. We've talked about uh, Blinken, Secretary of State. We've talked about Lloyd Austin, Secretary of Defense, even uh, the uh, South Korean Defense uh, Minister, Seouk. Let's talk about the new Foreign Minister, Chung Yong. He is, uh, of course, a, a longtime foreign policy hand. Uh, he was National Security Advisor for uh, President Moon in the Blue House, uh, known to have actively engaged uh, with the Trump administration um, and also uh, well-versed in U.S. affairs. Uh, how do you think it will be different under Chung Yong's leadership uh, as it was compared to the Foreign Ministry under former outgoing uh, Foreign Minister, Kang Kyung-hwa? Well, we we know Mr. Chong has long experience both in politics and in the foreign ministry itself. So he has good knowledge of the issues and he carries himself, I would say he comports himself very well. Um, Grace under pressure, he seems unflappable. Uh, That's the public image, a Mm -hmm. calm um, image that he projects. And he has experience in, of course, talking with um, his American counterparts. I guess the real question... Uh, that I have would be, how would Chong Yong respond to the next North Korean provocation? We know that Kim Jong-un, during the recent party congress, a lot of things about uh, vowed to continue to advance his nuclear capabilities so that he can hit with pinpoint accuracy targets 15,000 kilometers away. I wonder what he had in mind. So uh, when North Korea resorts to the next major provocation, like an ICBM test or a nuclear test, how will the two respective foreign policy establishments in Washington and South Korea come together to jointly deal with that challenge? And the final question here, Professor Lee, is that we have the Biden administration set to begin a four-year term just as President Moon Jae-in is uh, kind of completing the the final year of his presidency. Now, we don't know if it's going to be a 
a ruling party person who will be the next president of South Korea or maybe a more conservative opposition person. However, um, what do you think, regardless of who will be the next president uh, under the next four years uh, with Biden in the U.S., uh, are going to be some of the evolutionary changes in the ROC-U.S. alliance? In the coming months, uh, over the course of the next year, during um, the remaining time that President Moon has in office, um, if President Moon were to lean too heavily on President Biden, urging him to meet with the North Korean leader, I think that kind of message will probably not be very well received. The Biden administration has profound uh, concerns and skepticism about North Korea's nuclear intentions. You know, a summit meeting as spectacular, as um, you know, uh, sensational as they are, especially when it involves, when they involve the North Korean leader, uh, a summit meeting, unlike a blind date for, let's say, uh, you have to eliminate all elements of unpredictability, no surprises, not, no spontaneity. It is the culmination of several rounds of grueling negotiations. But the damage done by President Trump in having thwarted sanctions enforcement Uh, that was building up in 2017 and giving North Korea more time to build better bombs, more bombs. Uh, This is quite um, damaging to the interests of South Korea, the United States and Japan. So I don't see the Biden administration, President Biden, sitting down with Kim Jong-un anytime soon. We will have to leave it there. Professor Lee, thank you once again for joining us. Appreciate it. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. Now, we are going to move on from this discussion to trade policy under the new Biden administration in the U.S. We know it's been very contentious on trade uh, under the Trump administration, especially dealing with China, but other countries as well, including South Korea. So uh, to get more analysis, we're pleased to be joined again from Tufts University's uh, Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy, Professor Joel Trackman on the line. Hello. Hello. Thank you for joining us, Professor. So uh, the Biden administration has made very clear that their initial priority will be COVID-19, controlling the pandemic, and trying to shore up the domestic economy. So perhaps a trade will be um, a little bit on the back burner uh, initially for the Biden term. We do know that the uh, trade representative nominee, uh, Catherine Tai, said at a um, National Foreign Council uh, trade Uh, conference that um, domestic jobs will be key. Now, that's certainly a key for anybody who tends to be a little bit more maybe protectionist when it comes to trade matters. How do you think Biden will differ from Trump in terms of trade? I think that uh, we'll have continuity in the short term. Uh, But I think after that, we'll have quite a bit of difference and some reversion to the more traditional types of trade relations that existed before Trump, uh, the Obama years. As uh, vice president, uh, Biden championed the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which, uh, as you know, the president, President Trump unsigned on his first day in office. He was in favor of the North American Free Trade Agreement and in favor of uh, China's entry into the World Trade Organization. His campaign, as you say, was uh, focused on jobs for the middle class and on uh, addressing the uh, the pandemic, uh, including the economic effects of the pandemic. 
his national security advisor is uh, Jake Sullivan, and he's uh, concerned about globalization and its relationship to inequality and de- what he calls deindustrialization. I, I don't think the United States is doing so poorly in industrialization, and I don't think globalization has been a major cause of inequality in the United States. But uh, Catherine Tai um, is likely to be a, a more traditional United States trade representative, emphasizing labor and environment in, um, in free trade agreements uh, and otherwise uh, working in a, in a more normal way. Uh, I think, uh, you know, it won't be business as usual. Uh, it won't be uh, the Trump administration. I think there will be a much more multilateral um, uh, type of approach, uh, less unilateral, more recognition of the of the agency of foreign countries, um, and more focus, as you say, on jobs in the United States. How to achieve that mm. is, is another matter. Let's talk about what you mentioned with some continuity in the short term, but then as time goes on, we will see diversions from uh, the uh, former Trump policies. In regards to China, you believe that will be the case then? Because we've had these high-profile spats and these tit-for-tat tariffs that were slapped on uh, each other over the years, uh, the big dispute over TikTok, and now, um, as we know, Huawei also being blacklisted. Uh, in, in the short term, you do believe that uh, Biden won't immediately just roll back everything uh, in regards to China, but there will be certainly some China skepticism balanced with a little bit more of a, a nuanced approach. Oh, I think that's right. I, I've been surprised that Biden uh, is not going to immediately remove the very large tariffs that have been imposed on Chinese goods and won't even remove the steel and aluminum tariffs that have been imposed uh, around the world. So that um, is, uh, I think it's a recognition that these things, especially the China tariffs, um, gave the United States some leverage. That leverage was poorly used by President Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are some real issues that the United States and uh, its allies have with China relating to uh, subsidization, uh, overcapacity in steel and cement and other types of goods, intellectual property protection, conditioning uh, foreign direct investment on technology transfer and and piracy, Um, important issues of cybersecurity, which go way beyond trade. They go to geopolitics. Um, But I I expect that uh, President Biden will work with uh, the European Union, Korea, Japan, Canada, and other allies, and will seek to pressure China on some of these uh, more tractable issues like uh, market access and uh, intellectual property protection. The tougher ones, I think, are are cybersecurity, robotics, artificial intelligence. You mentioned TPP and the Trans-Pacific Partnership, obviously very much of relevance here in Korea. And uh, if if we recall back in 2016 and the lead up to the presidential elections there, uh, due to pressure from the left, uh, including those who supported Bernie Sanders and uh, from the right, uh, uh, including supporters of Donald Trump, uh, TPP became pretty much a toxic 
subject to the extent that a, a, a longtime supporter of TPP, Hillary Clinton, when she ran for president, had to basically do a 180 and, and basically disavow uh, pursuing that if she became president. It, it does seem like the indications seem to be there is going to be an openness to returning to the TPP. We know that China has its own um, entity in place, the, the current CPTPP, and what China is trying to do. South Korea is kind of caught in the middle here. Uh, they have joined the multilateral bloc led by China. Uh, how do you think um, the TPP is going to form itself over the next few years? I think that Democrats in the past couple of decades or more have run uh, for president as protectionists and then governed as moderates. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, President Biden um, would like to open up to trade. I think he uh, recognizes and his team recognizes that that's the right thing uh, for the United States, for its own interests. It's also true today that manufacturing is based on complex supply chains of intermediate goods and raw materials. And so uh, the United States has re- really has to open up. And the, and the reason that's relevant to the TPP is it allows for zero tariff treatment with uh, a number of countries. Now, as you know, the United States and Korea already have a free trade agreement, right. but countries like Japan, uh, which the United States does not have a free trade agreement with, um, are in the TPP. And, and that was really the main economic benefit of uh, the TPP. And it also had a, a geopolitical purpose of giving the United States more of a role in China and maybe greater leverage um, over China in multilateral negotiations. And China has even recently said that uh, it might be interested in, in joining the Trans-Pacific Partnership, and, 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 and the TPP was designed to include some of the things that the United States and other partners, other allies, wanted to achieve with China. So, so I think... Um, it would not surprise me if the TPP comes back. I think the uh, Biden administration will wait for a period of time and will add some labor and environmental provisions to be able to say this is different, mm-hmm. um, even though those labor and environmental provisions don't really do very much. But bottom line, as we've said uh the big elephant in the room will be the COVID-19 pandemic and how the U.S. gets out of that, uh, first uh, with uh, controlling the spread, then getting the vaccinations out efficiently, and then, of course, shoring up the economy. And really, everything does take a back burner to that, right? Uh, I, I think that that has to be the case. That is a very, very large drag on the United States economy. There are things that the Trump administration did in the trade area, which are smaller drags on the United States economy. The the trade barriers are hurting the United States. Um, So I hope that those will come off, but but nothing will be beneficial uh, unless unless we really address COVID-19. And we got about 30 minutes left. Uh, I, on the whole, I would I sense that you would be uh, on, on the more optimistic side rather than pessimistic side over the next four years compared to the previous four years. Oh, definitely so. I think the Trump administration really didn't have um, uh, a goal uh, in terms of things that would truly benefit the United States. Trump discovered the tool of these 
tariffs as leverage. Mm -hmm. They they shouldn't be used too often, Uh, but we have them now, and I hope that and I imagine that Biden is thinking I can use these things to extract some truly beneficial concessions from China instead of the purchase agreements that haven't been fulfilled really anyway. Um, I also think that the Trump administration will um, work on the domestic economy and on the jobs uh, issues using domestic policy. And I think the best trade policy to deal with equality is to uh, focus on labor rights and unionization and uh, social safety net. We will leave it there. Professor Trackman, thank you very much for joining us. Appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. And we'll be back after this.